again to It Is Complicated, the podcast where we answer every single question with It Is Complicated, including the title of the podcast, which is It Is Complicated. Hello, Dr. J. Hello, Josephine. How is this year, week, day, month, time period treating you currently? The news has been sort of to the point of catastrophe where you sort of think, I couldn't have written this as a movie 10 years ago and no one would have believed me. Mm-hmm. It's been a hell of a week in that it feels like a year. Dear 2021, I'd like to return my subscription. I've tried your seven-day free trial and I find that I'm not enjoying you. <laughs> Could I please cancel my subscription and have a refund? <laughs> Let us make a queer cozy corner of the internet right here on this delightful podcast. We lay back, get a giant beverage of your choice and tell me, Jay, who, what, when, and in what aspect ratio are you? Ooh, I'm quite fond of the eight by five aspect ratio, especially in a portrait mode. That seems to be the way that most of my photos are taken and done. And most of the art on my wall is very much eight by five. Although I do have a couple of slightly different aspect ratioed images simply because of the sensor on the camera that was used at the time. So who am I? Hey, I'm Dr. J. I use they as a pronoun. I got to give myself a job title, so I chose Harbinger of Change because if you can be anything, why not be fabulous? I work at a company called ThoughtWorks, who are a bespoke software consultancy. I got to describe my own gender. So I'm a transgressive, non-binary, genderqueer. What else am I? I'm a troublemaker, as if you weren't already aware, and a hashtag queer nuisance because annoying Josephine is my brand. (laughs) Well, that was good. I like that. <laughs> so, Josephine, I'll just try to do an introduction that doesn't take an entire episode this time. Oh, uh, fuck you. I mean, yay! <laughs> <laughs> Hi, my name is Josephine Baird. I am a scholar, activist, and artist. I used to like to make a spectacle of myself upon the stage, and I now make a spectacle of myself as a digital visual artist and put pictures of queers that I draw on the internet. And I like to think of myself as a queer with a purpose. Did that work? Fantastic. Yes. Now we'll work on this. Moving on <laughs> <laughs> quickly to our topic for today. You know what we haven't mentioned for a while, Jay, and we should, is that we have been supported by some wonderful patrons over on our Patreon, patreon.com slash it is complicated, all one word. Please do go over there and consider supporting us. And I wanted to thank everyone who's donating so far. It's wonderful. I really appreciate you. You are truly wonderful and we are very grateful for you we are so jay we actually have a topic for this week dear listener we thought we would talk about representations but we thought we'd do it in an interesting way it's a topic we've had on our list for some time is the very famous Bechtel test and we wanted to talk about that in relation to what it is normally applied to and also was going to try and answer the question whether or not we could come up with a test for trans representation. The test, dear listener, is something that originated from a comic book called Dykes to Watch Out For, which is quite fabulous, actually, written and I believe drawn at the same time by Alison Bechdel. In one of the comic strips, some of her characters talk about the problems of women and representation in film. And they describe this sort of, I guess, hypothetical test to determine whether or not 
the representation of women in a film is even possibly decent. And the test basically runs like this. If you're watching a film, consider if the movie has at least two women in it. Now, that might sound ridiculous. Of course, there'll be more than two women in it. Well, you'd be surprised how many films fail at the first hurdle. These two women need to, at some point, talk to each other. Now, again, you may think that's kind of a low bar. How absurd. You, again, would be surprised how many of the films that did actually manage to clear the first hurdle get completely caught up in the second. The third and final part of the Bechtel test is that they have to talk about something other than a man. And you would be astounded how few films still actually pass this standard. The test is now applied pretty regularly to film and the film industry. It's gone so far as to have academics use it as a standard to study trends in film. But yes, the idea was basically to point out how ludicrous film representation of women was. P.S., by the way, I'm doing the one thing academics should not do, and I presume I can get immediately fired for doing what I'm about to do. Which You're is reading look- from Wikipedia. I'm looking exactly at Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> Which tells me that the Bechtel test has actually entered into several mainstream standards. It has been employed by such institutions as the Swedish Film Institute. It has even been included in certain screenwriting software. So in a sense, actually, it's a really interesting standard and it has prompted a tremendously interesting debate. And also, I hope, has actually prompted some people to write and direct and create better media. The question, of course, immediately sprang to our minds was, what would such a test look like if you were to apply it to trans and non-binary people? And we've been trying to figure that out for some time now. We thought we'd record ourselves trying to figure it out. I mean, we could start off with, one, you need to have a trans or non-binary character in your film. I mean, how many films are going to fail at that first one? Uh, Nearly all of them. I think the second one is that their transition should not be the major plot point. See, this is the interesting thing. I've been doing some more internet research, and this actually has been attempted on occasion. In some ways, I don't want to look at the other attempts, because I can see already from my quick examination that this has caused some consternation, as all these things often do. I guess the thing about representation that is really difficult is that when you look at representation in terms of media theory, one of the first things that people often do is ask, is there a good representation of X, Y, and Z? Now, you have to define what you mean by good. Does that mean absolutely accurate? Does it mean positive? Does it mean viable? What does it mean? I'm stumped on the second rule because it's it's like you want to say they need to be realistic. And it's like, well, what is it about that portrayal? Ah, they are not murdered. In the same way as like a woman on a crime program because women are so often presented as the victims of sexual violence and all of that. So the only trans person on your program cannot be the victim of murder or violence. And it's interesting because then... Because that's that's not their only purpose. Yes, but see, then you have to define purpose there because one of the first trans representations that I had a feeling of positivity towards was in a Neil Gaiman story. Neil Gaiman, the author of Sandman and Mm. other fabulous works of fiction, including American Gods. Yes, Wanda. Wanda is a character in a Sandman story. She dies 
halfway through. She's the only character who does in that particular story arc and has been criticized on occasion for killing off the trans character. Now, Neil Gaiman has responded to that by saying that Wanda was by far the most, what's the word he uses? He sees it as the most sympathetic character, the most fleshed out character, the character you identify with the most, the one that has the most integrity, and therefore her death has the greatest impact in the narrative and narratively functions as an important aspect. That story also deals with dead naming in a way that none of the stories that I was reading at the time were dealing with at all Mm. and represents Wanda in a very beautiful way. The character, I believe, is based on someone I know. (laughs) So it's tricky. I think in that case, that story would not pass. In fact, it would be considered really problematic because the only trans character doesn't talk to other trans characters, is not considered a woman, is dead named, is presented in a traumatic way and gets killed. Her sole purpose is not just to be killed. So, for example, I'm thinking of the CSI that are always, oh, my God, they lift up the skirt and it's like, oh, my God, it's a trans person who's just been murdered. And from the start of the narrative, A, the trans person exists they're in the story, but they have almost no spoken lines apart from air and dead. And their death is the main plot point. Now, I would argue in Neil Gaiman's defense, because I love that story arc and I loved Wanda as a character. She does have the most humanity and her purpose is to be somebody who has to sit on the sidelines while this fantastical stuff goes on. And she has lines. She has an entire narrative arc that is not solely about her being murdered. I happen to agree. I'm only presenting this as one way to read the text. In fact, Mm. I'm presenting it as a way to read the text that an oversimplified model or an oversimplified test would not pick up on the nuance because I happen to agree. Weird little story that I've just remembered. I got to tell Neil Gaiman that I loved that particular story the very first time I met him. And now I met him. I say met. What I did was I stood in line outside of Forbidden Planet in London and waited for some time to get my book signed by Neil Gaiman. And I was absolutely thrilled to do it because it was one of the first times I'd gone out as trans in a public environment. And I got to tell him that the story meant a lot to me. It also was written at a time when those stories were just not being told at all, let alone well. And even in hindsight, I think the story holds up. But a simplified test would not do it. So I might offer a revision of the model. Perhaps the trans character's narrative function cannot be tragedy alone. So there needs to be a trans and non-binary character is rule one. And rule two, their narrative function is not to be solely tragic. Which can include death or not. It can include trauma or not. It can include being marginalized or not. Because this is a conversation that's happening a lot in video games, for example, because there have been several very notable high-budget mainstream games that have included trans characters of late. The Last of Us Part Two is one of the most popular games of last year. I believe it won Game of the Year this year. I'm trying to remember. I think it did. Hades should have won Game of the Year, if anybody's interested. But did not, tragically, because Hades is amazing and so gay. The Last of Us Part Two has a lesbian protagonist and a trans character 
The representation of trans characters in that game was discussed quite widely because even though the protagonist is lesbian, her sexuality is not brought up at any point in a derogatory fashion throughout the game. The only character that suffers any violence due to their identity in the entire game is the trans character. This has been criticized. I think it's a bit more nuanced, the trans character's representation, but I can see the problem. There are other representations which are considered much better, and there are most certainly other representations which are considered significantly worse. But I would argue that often the factor that is being discussed when people are trying to determine whether it's a good representation or not, or one that they're comfortable with, is whether or not that character is suffering tragedy based on their identity alone. And that is their defining feature. And I think without getting into the tropes of queer characters are always murdered at the end or X, Y, and Z, because I would say that there is a story that can be told, which involves both, which does not need necessarily be a bad representation. And in fact, that might be an excellent story. There's a story in the game The Missing, which is a game that I'm studying for my academic work, in which the protagonist is pretty much following a very well-worn trans narrative trope of being closeted, being found out at school, being driven to self-harm and suicide. However, the story is delivered in a very interesting way, and the end very specifically breaks with the trope in very significant ways, so much so that there is a happy ending for a start. And also, when she does come out of it, she is treated with respect. She's not dead named. She's accepted. And it's quite beautiful. The game truly touched me and moved me in a very profound way. It's why I'm writing about it. It has flaws too, uh, including its director, who is tragically went on to include trans characters in his next game that were fucking awful, <laughs> which were dead named constantly, which their life was a tragedy throughout. They were, of course, a villain and they were driven to killing and murder by their gender and they were murdered themselves, of course, and just you name it, the trope was in there. And it turns out that the only reason his game, The Missing, was any good was because he actually talked to trans people and he didn't in the follow-up. And therefore, his view of trans people actually came to the fore, sadly. And he had a bit of an ego, it seems, and so could not take the criticism so well. See, this comes back to nothing about us without us. Yes. Maybe that's number three. Yes. Nothing about us without us. So your trans or non-binary character is portrayed by, shock fucking horror, a trans or non-binary actor and not a cis white man. There are subtleties that you don't know unless you've walked in those shoes. There are subtleties you don't know unless you've lived that experience. It's people talk about the need for more black representation, not just an actor, but more people across the backroom, the production, etc., because they bring that different viewpoint and perspective. It's true for everything. I appreciate actors are really good. I appreciate that people put a lot of research into roles. I appreciate that people try to play outside of their knowledge and experience and things like that. Who's the actor that keeps getting cast and Scarlett Johansson that's what I was trying to think of that's the name yes Scarlett Johansson who's the basic modern version of that who seems yeah. to believe that she can play anybody in anything Eddie Redmayne is the cis male version yeah. of that because he believes he can play anyone he for example felt it was absolutely no problem playing a trans woman a terrible representation of a trans woman by the way 
in a movie and then defending J.K. Rowling on the basis that he insisted that she was not transphobic. So, you know, the two things don't go together whatsoever. <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah, I think the, the simplicity of it is that for the most part, you're probably not going to get as nuanced a performance. So if you're talking about the quality of the performance, which is what Soulful always said, when someone says, why can't you find a trans actor to play that trans character? You'll hear casting directors and directors say, well, there just aren't any trans actors, which first off, that's bullshit. Secondly, they'll say, oh, but there aren't any trans actors of the caliber that we want. Also bullshit, because honestly, the trans characters that are played by non-trans people tend to be terrible and terribly acted and terribly portrayed so the reason isn't those two things the reason is because they don't want to hire a trans actor and they don't want to tell a nuanced story those are the true reasons the third reason i believe that it's actually worth hiring a trans actor to play a trans character is because it gives them a job that's almost up there in terms of priority it's actually like honestly give them fucking work because Being a trans actor, having done this, by the way, (laughs) I know what it can be like in a minor way. Don't get me wrong. I certainly did not rise to the levels of any trans actors that currently are successful today. And I'm not jealous at all. Um, Actually, they're just fabulous. And I wish I was as talented as they. But the truth is, I have, in my own minor way, experienced exactly what it's like trying to be an actor and trans because you just won't get the parts. You just won't. Even if they're trans characters, chances of you getting it is pretty damn low. So simply getting paid and getting a job is the reason to hire a trans actor to play both trans characters and cis ones for that matter. (laughs) Because I think there is no power dynamic shift there. Yeah, anyway, I could go on and on about this. But shall we say safely that this is probably one of our criteria, that the trans character should probably be played by a trans person and same for a non-binary person. Absolutely. So that gives us three rules. You need to have a (laughs) character. We're not even asking for two. We're asking for a single trans or non-binary character in your movie. Number two is that their primary narrative function should not be tragedy. And three, they should be played by a trans or non-binary actor. And preferably the character was written in at least in consultancy with trans people, if not by a trans writer. Because two reasons. Yes. One, they're going to write a better character. Two, give them a job. Because <laughs> I've yeah. also been a writer. And let me tell you, being trans and trying to get any gig is pretty fucking rough. But as a writer, also, yeah. So this is, in fact, my answer when I do speeches about diversity and inclusion. And people say, how do I improve the diversity and inclusion of my team? And I just turn around and go, hire them. Hire yeah. difference. When you meet someone who is different, hire them. They might not fit. They might not fit in your team, but you hire them. You give them a chance. And when they don't fit in your team, you figure out what it is about the team that didn't allow them to fit. Exactly. Is your team full of cis white men and you brought in a black trans woman and you wondered why they didn't fit? Well, then hire more black trans women into your team. Hire more difference into your team. And then you'll have a far more diverse, inclusive team. And people look at me as if I'm some kind of guru or genius for saying this. And I'm like, literally give them jobs. It's probably the most simple aspect of all of this. The problem is X. The solution is higher. Almost always. The lack of black voices in media 
solved by hiring black people, black actors, black writers, black directors. The problem of misrepresentation of trans people and non-binary people in the media solution, hire trans and non-binary people. The problem yes. of the misrepresentation of disability and disability solved by hiring disabled people. Just have more voices. They'll tell you. Also, of course, make sure that your workplace is actually amenable to them and not fucking toxic. But, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's goal number two. At least hire is a good way to go. But, yeah, mm -hmm. I think there are additional rules we could talk about. I would say there are some general rules that one could apply to all media. You know, I would say there are some pretty problematic tropes that are pretty regularly referenced in media when it comes to trans identities. One would be the reveal and the other would be the trans people are somehow hiding mm. their identity and they're trying to deceive you. I mean, there are some tropes that I would just avoid unless you know what you're doing and you're going to fuck with it and use it in an interesting way. So, yes, killing your trans character, you better have a good reason. Presenting them as tragic, same goes. I think the Bechdel test was a good start, but there's still incredibly problematic representation of women in of films and mainstream media. And that's not even touching on any other gender. The Bechdel test, it's a shorthand. I think the three rules that we have is a decent shorthand. I think it's the calculation I often make when I'm looking at a representation. The effectiveness of the Bechdel test being such a low bar is it's so stark. It's like, oh my God, these movies can't even achieve this. So if you make a really simple test that's an incredibly low bar, which is you have to have a trans character, they should be paid by a trans actor, and their whole plot function isn't tragedy. That's a really low bar. And the fact that you will find very, very few movies that can actually meet that bar demonstrates the point. Because it's low, because it's so simple, because it's so ludicrous, demonstrates the problem. I think that's the thing. And that's why also I don't say it has to be a positive representation, because it doesn't. Character can be an absolute arsehead. <laughs> They don't need to be good. They don't need to be. I'm a thinking of your character in Die Card. Yeah, she's not positive representation. She's a serious problem. She wins in the end, which <laughs> was my change, by the way, to the script, and I'm so proud of it. The other thing is, like, they can have a tragic story. So, for example, if your main character is trans, and they happen to be the equivalent of Walter White from Breaking Bad, you don't want this person to have a good time. Their life is supposed to be tragic. Their narrative is tragic, but they're not a plot function. They're not a device. And that device isn't pure tragedy. That's the point. You can pass our test by having a trans character played by a trans actor, not saying a word in the background. Walk on screen, walk on screen and walk off. And go off to have a beautiful life, which and is your character that you pitched to Keanu Reeves. And actually it is because that's the film I've pitched for years, which is making a mainstream movie, having a trans character who walks on, has a great time and leaves. And that was what I wanted to pitch. That's my ultimate trans character movie. I wish to play this character. I will do it for scale. <laughs> <laughs> that's how much I want to play this character. But no, that's why we didn't say, does the character need to speak? Because that's in the Bechdel test. Does the character need to speak to another trans person? Does the character need to speak about anything other than their gender? Does gender identity or transition not be the primary function of their character? I actually think you can tell transition stories because first off, they aren't being told. So having a few wouldn't be so terrible. It is part of our life. And also you can do that in a nuanced and good way. 
you could have a trans character be the only trans character in the particular story in a way that would be nuanced and a good representation. I just so happened, this was completely by accident. Jane and I decided to talk about this topic a couple of hours ago. And then a couple of hours later, we decided to record it. In the meantime, I started watching the new season of Big Mouth, which is on Netflix. It's a animated TV show that deals with sexuality and puberty, amongst other things. And it just so happened that the new season introduces a trans character. I had absolutely no idea that that was the case. My first reaction on seeing the trans character was like, oh, God, is this going to be terrible? Because I happen to like this show <laughs> and I don't want to stop liking it, which unfortunately is what happens when certain TV shows or personalities, Eddie Izzard, come out and say something really stupid and you suddenly go, oh, dear, that thing I liked, I can't like so much anymore. And in this case, I thought actually they handled it really well. I think episode three has some really incredible nuance around the character's interaction with other characters. And that I totally appreciate. I think she's excellent. I really enjoyed that. But she is literally the only trans character. The narrative of that first episode is most certainly all about her transition and nothing else. She is being dead named at one point. She has to deal with people behaving really badly about her gender. But it is demonstrated for being that. In that way, I think it functions rather well to tell her story. I don't need those criteria in the test. And that's why I said, if you fill your test full of 10 or 12 rules, like saying, oh, their primary story shouldn't be about transition, or they shouldn't be exclusively sex workers, or they shouldn't be criminals, or this, that, and the other, I think it breaks the point of the test, which is to be ludicrously low bar that most films mm. can't meet and to yeah. kind of show them up for being crap. Yeah, I heartily agree. I'm just looking up the actor who played the character. No, no, she is. Publicly came out as a trans woman in August 2018, changing her first name to Josie. Let's call it the Tota test after the first person <laughs> who passed it. Well, there are examples that would have passed it. We just I know, to... but I'm just very excited. I think there's lots of examples of media that would pass our test, most oh, yeah. of which um, would not be mainstream. Yes. Thank you for taking my excitement and pulling it down to the point where I can talk again. Orange is the New Black. Laverne Cox, that totally passes yes, our test. It does. It Completely. P.S. I think Josie Toto might be my favorite person now. Maybe not. I don't know. She might be awful. But the first thing I saw, because I just looked her up, Here's a quote from Josie Tota. Josie Tota didn't come out. She's always been here. Full stop. Uh, Amazing. I really hope to find out that she's fabulous and not awful. Because I fear that, as always, with these things. I've just recently been burned by Idiazard, so I'm feeling the, the fear. The Watching that particular episode of Big Mouth made me consider the immediate mental questions I ask myself when I see a trans character appear on a screen, especially if I'm not expecting it. And one of which is, is it just going to be just awful? And is she going to be misrepresented? Is she going to be traumatized? Am I going to have some awful moment of PTSD related triggering from watching some awful representation of someone who's supposed to be like me and I'm supposed to be somehow empathizing with this character in some way? Because we're invisible, 
because these portrayals are hitting tropes that people just recognize and just go, oh, well, that's what trans people are, right? They're not being challenged to think of anything different. That's why the test is there to show, to demonstrate the absurdity of the situation. It doesn't mean your film has to be good or that your character is great or even good or even speaks or does anything. Shit, the character could literally sit there in a scene, look sideways, look sideways in a shifty manner, say nothing, and it would pass the test. And there are still, most movies wouldn't be able to do it. That's the point. I'm pretty happy with our little standard for now. I would say it's in alpha. I would say it's our first prototype. I think we can put it out with this episode and go, here are our three rules, and it's alpha term. The Laverne Tota test. And we'll see. Oh, I like it. The Laverne Tota test. And we'll see how it plays out. It will slowly be Mm. iterated on. But I like the idea of keeping it to three, very much like the Bechdel test. And it's that setting a clear baseline. That very first thing of here, we're just asking for one character whose primary narrative function is not tragedy and that they are played by a trans or non-binary person. And one of these days we will turn around and ask for two. And we will be called greedy for doing so. Perhaps you could, for example, hire myself and Dr. J. We are notable performers of a type. And uh, we could definitely play the part well, I'm sure. If you don't feel like hiring us, you might want to hire some actual actors like Elliot Page, who recently came out as trans in a fabulous way with a fabulous letter. Highly recommend reading that. I think this is an ongoing conversation to be continued. Have we passed in your grading of our work? Would we get a pass grade at least? Good question. All right, well, let's examine it. Were the characters played convincingly by trans and non-binary? <laughs> Was your primary narrative function tragedy? Unless you count some of our tragic abuses of the English language. Well, yeah, that's when you have to start dividing tragedy. But let's move along. And I would say, yes, we get an A plus, Jay. Because also it's our test, so we better fucking pass it, right? (laughs) Well, okay. Well, with that in mind, I have to ask Jay the question that I so enjoy asking them every week. And considering we're talking about media representation, Jay, do you think it would be a really good idea to talk about notable screenwriter and author J.K. Rowling next week? Well, she talks about wanting to preserve the representation of lesbians but she also fails to include lesbian and gay characters explicitly within her works so I find this kind of thing difficult and nuanced no of course we're fucking not going to talk about her and on that note Thank you, dear listener, for joining us this week. Please let us know if you think of any other rules that you'd add to that or any changes or if we're completely off base. And please definitely send us any media that you think would actually meet these criteria because I'm always interested in experiencing representation of trans people in the media because honestly, we just don't get represented at all often and certainly not well. So it's always good to find out more. And non-binary people. It's lovely to have us even thought about. Jay, you've got the adjudicator in John Wick 3. 
I know. Aren't they fabulous? <laughs> and they are. And I, yes, I want more. I and... want more. This is going to sound like the Keanu Reeves fan club, but quite frankly, dear Mr. Reeves, you are indeed breathtaking. You are. Call in, would you? <laughs> a... Keanu Reeves, if you would like to be on our podcast, we would not say no. Is, is what I'm saying here. I mean, we'd, we we'd would say think. yes so quickly, you'd be wondering if we actually had brain stems that functioned, or we just sat there and nodded and said yes a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and that's going to be the postscript outtake. That's the one. I was looking for one. I was like, when, which one is going to be? It's that. 